Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that thinks Porto is a right knobhead. On today's show, we're going to be looking at Erling Haaland, that lab-created freak of nature who scores more than Cal Walker during lockdown. We're going to be previewing tomorrow's Fulham game too, of course. And lastly, casting a glance, Dan Saf, to the North London derby. To do all this, I'm delighted to be joined by a lad whose outstanding debut recently on here brought to mind Mangala's brilliant opening display against Chelsea. Let's hope where that that's where the comparison ends. It's Harry Siddle. Oh, Hi, Sarah, you like, mate? <laughs> that, that is some comparison. Um, let's hope I go more Vincent Company than, than Mangala. Yeah, start off with like Mangala and then end up like Vincent Company. That's the way to do it. <laughs> uh, we're also joined by a Night 320 regular whose article published yesterday, Lancing the Stupidity of True Geordie, has had the big tattered tool crying into his peas pudding ever since. It's Joe Butterfield. You right, Joe? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm all good, thanks. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's one way to describe it. I think, yeah, it's crazy, mad. Yeah, for for those who who don't know, you wrote uh, about True Jordan. What is um podcast called? Or uh, it's blog? basically a show. It's a show he does called The Kickoff, which is basically kind of like a watch along where they sit, they they pick a Premier League game and and him and a couple of other um sort of people who are in the football in media on on YouTube and stuff just sit around and watch football and talk about it like they would in the pub. Um and and whilst I I personally quite enjoy the show and find it very entertaining, which is why I was so you know I felt like I had to write about it when this came up. But I think they don't have very many city people on there. And it's sort of, to me is starting to become a bit reminiscent of how we all feel about the mainstream media where no one's really got cities back. So uh, yeah. I, I basically just sort of wrote about, you know, how he went on a massive rant about how Pep Guardiola's, you know, transfers were awful. How he, I think he, the, the, the phrase that he's made us worse than when he took us over, despite <laughs> having won eight trophies in four years um, was, was, was thrown out a lot. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wrote an article basically just sort of, picking i only listened to the first four or five minutes and i already had enough material to write three thousand words about it so yeah so if you haven't read it give it a read but if you have read it and you've already said something nice to me uh thank you very much because it's it got difficult to sort of reply to absolutely everybody by by the time it'd been out for a couple of hours well you certainly had cities back yesterday mate and um yeah did really well on on social media and as you said you know, go check it out. It, it's I'm sure it's linked on your Twitter page, isn't it? And City Extra too. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's look to Erling Haaland and report this week that City are very interested in him, which you could say isn't really spectacular news or you know entirely unsurprising, um, given his form of late. Um, Harry, what what do you make of him? What do you make of the prospect of City signing him um, in the near future? Um. I mean, he's been my dream signing for kind of over a year. Um, yeah. And I think he's kind of would be the, the most obvious answer to the sort of Sergio Aguero conundrum we've got at the moment. In some ways, I think he's a very similar player, Sergio. He's got a variety of goals. He's dominating in the air. He's got a, a poacher's instinct as well. He's actually good with a ball at his feet. Uh, and he's proven it not just in the Bundesliga, but in Europe as well. And it's, the consistency is, is almost scary. Uh, the amount of goals he scores. Uh, and we need a regular supplier of goals for when Aguero goes. One thing we've got to realise is that we will never have a striker like Sergio Aguero again. Uh, if we do, we'd be very, very lucky. Uh, and we're going to need a regular supplier of goals. And he could be one for years and years to come. It'd be an investment, uh, but it'd be a very smart investment considering the potential he has and how well he's performing already. Uh, Joe, considering our kind of wastefulness in front of goal this last 18 months or so, 
Um, Harlan's stats are just phenomenal, aren't they? I mean, it, you would expect him to correct that should he come. Yeah, definitely. Cause I think I think even this season, while we've had a lot of goal scoring issues, I've still seen I've, and you know maybe not as many chances created as we as we usually see in previous years. I think I've still seen a lot of good crosses get fizzed across the box where it's just a case of nobody's in that six yard box mm. to, to to finish it off. And I think that's the one thing that Haaland is just freakishly good at. He's just got, he's got the, you know, the off the ball movement, the positioning to just get into that right space to, to, to be able to just tap it in at the back post. And he was obviously capable of all the, he's, he's obviously capable of the spectacular as well as that. But um, even if we just have someone who can just do that, that, that little job at the end, just, just literally, poke it into the net at the end of a, at the end of a move. That's, that's what we really need. Um, I think I, I listened to um, one of the pods earlier in the week. I can't remember which one it was, but Asan sort of said that, you know, it might not necessarily be as simple as just, you know, buy Haaland, drop him into the, into the team. And then we'll, he scores 30, 40 goals. And we win the league. I think that's, I think there's some truth in that. I think Pep's too concerned with like all of the, the other factors that make you a decent striker besides just being a good finisher. I think obviously Gabriel Jesus is like the perfect example of that where his finishing obviously isn't at the top level, but everything else is. I think, you know, his, his, his pressing and his movement and stuff like that. And I, I, I don't watch enough of Dortmund to know how good Haaland is at that side of the game. He might be great at it and it might be, you know, he might be a perfect fit for us on, on the whole. But if he is if he is just a finisher, then as, as much of a quality finisher as he is, I, I'm not someone who's maybe pinning my as much as he is you know uh, he's great yeah. he's one of the it'll be a marquee signing i think that's probably one of the biggest things about it we haven't we don't see city shop at that level of of player where um you know they've he's already got ridiculous fame like the entire footballing world is watching him we don't really make those kind of signings we're gonna we're more likely to go for someone who's got a 60 million buyout clause in spain and just like and, and, and bring those in instead um and I, I don't know i I'd, I'd love us to get him if we don't get him, I'm conv- I'm quite happy. I think I'm convinced that you know the club will find somebody else. Um, and if it means that we don't have to give Mino Raiola twenty million, then uh, that's that's yeah. all that's all good with me. No, that's that's fair enough. And and from what I've seen of him, I mean he is a phenomenal player. No no question about it. And it's a fact of how young he is and and the ceiling that he has and the development he still has ahead of him, particularly under someone like Pep. But yeah, he does have a distinctly average kind of touch on him, which is kind of. Really surprising when you look at his stats. I mean, just to kind of pick a couple out. Last season, he scored 44 in 40 games for Dortmund and Red Bull Salzburg. In his first 11 appearances for Dortmund, this is particularly relevant with City, I think, his conversion rate was 47% over those 11 games. Um, Nine goals from 19 shots, uh, which is staggering. Um, He's the current uh, European Golden Boy winner, of course. Um, Yeah, this season, I mean, he's scored 10 and 8. And the Champions League has scored six in four. Um, he oh. just scores goals. But there's an argument to be made that it doesn't matter how good his first touch is. Yeah, what he's doing does it? That's, like, that's all I think. But but you're, you and Aysan are absolutely correct there. You say I think Pep will be looking at him and thinking, can I improve his all-round game? Will he fit into our system with that all-round game? If the answer is yes to both, then what a signing he's going to well, be. He is- He's a physical specimen, isn't he? Like, if you look at him, I don't know if anyone saw the picture he put on Instagram yesterday. Mm, but his, his, quad, his quads are unbelievable. Like, <laughs> yeah. his, his, like he's he's got Chris Hoy legs. It's mental. But um, I think it's yeah. I, I, if if Pep can work on that element of his game, which, like I say, I don't watch a lot of Dortmund, that may already be there. But if it's not, and Pep thinks that he could, 
then 100% it's a signing we've got to make. Especially while I think I think Mino Raiola has, has, has done a great bit of business by getting Dortmund to, to put a release clause in there so that he obviously doesn't become so out of reach for a club mm. the size of City or yeah. whatever that he can move again. Um, but that then obviously does come with the, the sort of deal with the devil you make where you are literally going to have to give Mino Raiola 20, 25 million pounds to do it. And we know that City don't necessarily have the best relationship with him. So we're no. not sure, I'm not yeah. sure how that will go. Yeah, can I just say on the on I kind of like the specimen of him. One thing Pep Guardiola always credits Raheem Sterling for is like his his fast recovery. He says he could play like every twenty four hours, and it looked like from like the the news and that that Haaland was going to not be out, not be back in action until about twenty twenty one. And now yesterday he's saying he's just completely back. Like it's, how he's come back that quickly is just incredible, and it'd be definitely be one thing, especially with the schedule in the Premier League yeah. that Guardiola surely will look at, but. Things in the back of my head say that it's just not depends on obviously on the money and stuff. I don't think it's investments that City make. Like Joe said, I feel like the the striker we'll get will be kind of an unknown. I mean, who heard of Gabriel Jesus before he came at City? I don't think I I'd, I'd rarely knew about him. Leroy Sane had a few appearances in the Champions League, uh, but he wasn't really unknown. He was kind of like a guy with potential. He's come in, so I think it could be someone that's an unknown rather than Haaland. If I'm looking at it in City shoes, but from a kind of fan's perspective, I feel like it's kind of a no-brainer at the moment. Yeah. I mean, Torres is another as well, Fernando Torres. Yeah, Torres, I, yeah. I knew the name. That was it. I couldn't have said a, a single yeah. thing about him. Um, I think maybe his quick recovery time is down to those quads of his, which are <laughs> incredible. And, and speaking Ridiculous. of kind of freakish legs, uh, we move on to our next transfer target, which is Jack Grealish and his incredible calves. Um, Harry, he's been valued by Villa this week at £100 million. Would you be happy with City chasing him for that figure? For £100 million, no. Um, I've always thought about Jack Grealish, and I, I think he's a fantastic player, but I've always felt like the value Villa have put on him are for clubs like City and Liverpool to pay. But I don't think, until recently, really, he's not performed to the level of a City and a Liverpool. Mm. Uh, he's always kind of been at a level of, uh, of Arsenal, Man United, like third and fourth down. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of him, but I just again, City don't pay hundred million pounds for a player. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I can't see it ever happening. To be honest, I can very much imagine him going to United, which is was the original narrative. Um, what about you, Joe? Can you see him going to City over United? Yeah, I, I kind of agree that for the price of hundred million, I don't think there's any chance that we go anywhere near that. I think the club, the club, are still very much, and this kind of maybe contradicts me saying I'd, I'd, I'd quite like to see us sort of sign those top tier you know the Haaland big name kind of play, at least one or two because you need those marquee signings when you're a club the size of ours but I, I think I think the idea of you know the, the days of that will follow on Twitter after Jack Grealish has announced for a hundred million. I just I can't I can't imagine that, and I don't think the club will. The club won't. The club won't like the idea of the the kind of PR that signing the world's most expensive midfielder brings yeah. the club. They are they 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 have a level of self awareness with that kind of thing, which is probably why they don't do very many of these kind of deals. But I think if you are going to pay a hundred million plus. You you're not signing Aston Villa's best player for that. You're signing someone from like a you're signing an Mbappe or or a Haaland, someone of that level of quality. I think if you're going to break the bank for you know, and I and I love Jack Grealish. I love watching him play, but you're not spending that kind of money for Jack Grealish. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do also think that centre midfield is 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 one of the the things we need to buy uh, after a striker. I feel like centre midfield and maybe left fullback, depending on on Mendy etc. This year will be the, the the position we look at. But 
for hundred million pounds, I don't. As Joe said, I don't think Jack Grealish would be that signing for that price. If it was a bit lower, maybe uh, City would consider him. I know a lot of players, uh, especially around City, are a big fan of him, but not for that much. You, you'd want you'd want a player of Haaland's quality for, for hundred million pound. Yeah, especially because in the current market, you know, if Grealish was Spanish, we'd be looking at sixty million, wouldn't we? Um, and that extra forty million is substantial, and it comes about purely because you know the vast rich riches within the Premier League. Aston Villa don't need to sell him; um, you know they can go for that absolute top mark valuation uh, and probably get it from someone, someone like Manchester United. I can't see it myself, but okay, lads, let's move on to City Fulham tomorrow. Um, another three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. How bizarre is that? Um, Harry, Fulham have been largely abysmal this season um, but got a great result uh, away to Leicester on Monday night does that worry you? Um, yes, I think it's going to be a completely different game to Burnley because they seem rejuvenated in kind of all areas of the pitch at the moment Fulham Burnley came off the back of a win before us but if you've watched a game you know that without Nick Pope Burnley would have lost that by a very big margin uh, so Fulham seem rejuvenating in every area. I mean, the lad, the lad we've sold, Tosin, uh, I, I can't say his name, Adara, Adara, Adara Bayo, there you go, uh, has kind of fit them like a glove. And yeah. all I've heard all week from kind of Fulham side of, of social media is that the defence looks looks pretty solid. They're not leaking goals as they was at the start of the season. And since getting over the kind of penalty hoodoo that they've had, uh, the strikers are starting to convert chances. So I, I think it'd be a, a lot tougher game uh, than Burnley just because of momentum at the moment and they seem to get out of that slump uh, and they've got a settled squad now that are playing well so yeah we'll have to be at the top of our game uh, Joe sorry to kind of succumb to cliche here but is it true really that the same applies to Fulham as it did with Burnley where you know getting an early goal is vital I think so I think um, I'm not sure how Fulham will approach it because I've, I've not really I've not really seen much of Fulham. I think I've seen maybe two of their games this season, so I don't know whether they're a particularly. Yeah, same I don't know whether they're a partic- I don't know whether they're a particularly sit back and stick ten men behind the ball kind of team or or what. But um, you know, either way, getting a getting a goal early on for us means that regardless of what their initial plan is, they pretty much have to come out and attack us, and that's that. You know, that completely changes the complexion of the game from 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 minute one. Um, yeah, I think I think Fulham will come into it probably with a, a bit of a bounce after last last week's result and kind of the knowledge that they're not really expected to get anything from the game, especially with the posi- with the position that they're in in the league at the moment, probably take the pressure of them and they might end up sort of playing better as a result of that. But really after, you know, after what we did to Burnley last week, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting us to do something similar to Fulham, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, after five games, they had the fifth best possession stats in the Premier League, but they lost all five games. So yeah. those stats have really dwindled now. I don't know if that's purely because... Uh, of you know perhaps Scott Parker kind of adapting and, and tweaking things, realizing that they have to be a bit more cagey. Maybe um, that would suggest so, but I don't know for sure. Um, okay, let's look at uh, American Laporte this week. Um, Harry, is it a story about nothing? Um, you know, I read that there might have been a fallout with Pep Guardiola uh, after missing three games, and yet it you know it was revealed that he's been fully fit the whole time. Um, the club kind of leaked it that you know it was not a, a problem there. Uh, what's been your reading of the situation? I've kind of took it as a as a massive po- positive from Pep's perspective that he's kind of sent a message to the squad this season. I mean, he left Mares out of out of Liverpool completely that squad, and then he came back in after a good performance. Um, I take it as a positive that he's kind of said no one's safe in this starting eleven. Laporte has been undroppable for what two or three years now, and you know we missed him dearly 
uh, last season. So having no one safe in that starting eleven, he's going to drive competition for places and has better benefited John Stones in particular. It now depends on how Laporte reacts. Uh, is he the type of player that will sulk and uh, not be happy that he's being dropped, even though he's fit, considering he's supposed to be one of our uh, best centre-half options? Or will he take it like I'd compare it to Kyle Walker last season and kick on uh, and be even better and push John Stones, Diaz, Ake, all them four fighting for, for two spots every week? Healthy competition always brings about the best results. Well, I would expect him to start against Fulham, particularly having you know, not played for three games. He should be fresh and ready. Um, Joe, what about the kind of rest of the defence? Firstly, do you, do you think it will be Laporte over Stones, Laporte and Stones? Um, how do you see that defence taking shape this Saturday? I think, in terms of the centre backs, I think it will be, I think it will be Diaz and Stones again. I'd, I mean, Diaz Diaz may be due for a rest if he's played because he's played pretty much every game since he's signed for us. I think. Um, but at the same time, uh, it maybe that D- maybe Diaz is why Stones is playing as good as he is. Maybe it's maybe it's Diaz's leadership at the back that's sort of bringing the best out of Stones. So maybe Pep won't want to, you know, if it's not broke, then then don't fix it. And I kind of think that's I kind of think that's where the Laporte situations come from. Like Laporte, Laporte made a mistake against Spurs. It's a pretty costly mistake, and it effectively made us it, it put us in a situation where we were really struggling for the rest of the game, and and you know, and we and we we lost as a result of it. So. It's a case of right. You've made your mistake. So some, you know, I've got John Stones there. He's pretty good, so he can have a go now. And until he makes a mistake, then you can sit on the bench and watch him for a bit. And I hope that I hope that that's kind of what what this is. I think it's just a case of it. Laporte's a good, a, a big example, isn't it, to make for the squad because I think um, he's always been very much seen as one of the untouchables since he's signed. I think Edison, Laporte, De Bruyne, um, Kyle Walker, and Sterling, uh, just the ones that no matter what they're going to play every game. And I think taking one of those players out because they've had a bad game sends a message to the rest of the team where it's like, look, like if if you if you make an error, I've got a squad now that means that I can take one of you out and I can put someone else in. Um, so yeah, I'm, I I think you know no, we all know that there's nothing a, a big issue, not a big issue between Laporte and Pep. I think Sam Lee's article for the Athletic made that made that pretty yeah. clear. Um, in terms of the rest of the defense, um, I, I imagine I imagine we'll see. The, the the usual drop in I think we'll see we'll see Walker come back um, I think Stones will play alongside Diaz a left back I think Mendy will come back in now he's had a, having had the, the mid the midweek um, the midweek rest yeah and then and then yeah the, the rest of the, the rest of the, I honestly don't think we'll see much of a change from the Burnley game to be honest I think he'll probably go with that same team again if he if if they're all still available I'm not sure I'm not sure whether Sterling comes back in I don't think he's done enough midweek to really reclaim reclaim that spot. I'm I'm kind of yeah mainly agree with you there. I do think Laporte will start. I think, um, but I completely agree with what you're saying about Diaz. I think you know I mentioned on the pod um, earlier this week he's had numerous different partners Diaz, and he makes all of them look better. And that's exactly yeah. what Laporte did in his first season as well. Um, so yeah, the, the idea of Laporte and Diaz growing together as a partnership um, is really exciting to me. Um, Harry, we've we've kind of you know. It's a dead rubber, let's face it, on Wednesday against Marseille. Mm-hmm. A full seven days uh, until United. Can you see a strong team lined up and, uh, against Fulham? Yeah, I think he's he's kind of got to go as strong as possible. We can't sort of afford to... We talked about it last week. We can't really afford to drop points against, against these sort of opposition. Um, I think 
last week you saw that rests for a couple of players, in particular De Bruyne, Walker, etc., really helped. Uh, at the weekend, they looked fresh. And I think one common thing that's been happening with De Bruyne so far this season is that he's been gassing out 60 minutes, 50 minutes into yeah. the game. Yeah. Whereas you could see 80, uh, past 80 minutes into kind of the 90th minute, De Bruyne was still closing down. So I think he benefits from that rest. And you saw he was probably his best performance of the season last week. So hopefully he can he can benefit from that rest. Um, in terms of the in terms of the team, uh, a lot of the players who were left out on Wednesday come back in, uh, and then it just depends on who he wants to start up top. Uh, I, does he play uh, Mares again? Uh, does he bring Sterling back in? I think I agree with Joe when he doesn't, but he still seems reluctant to play Foden. And if he does, he plays him on the wing, so maybe Foden would move out there. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think we've got. I, I think we've got to go strong now until uh, until we come to a period of games where we're playing every three days in in the Premier League rather than in the Champions League because in Marseille you just put your, your complete and utter fringe squad out <laughs> yeah uh, and then save them all for the derby and then you kind of go from there. Well, if Sterling is left out, there might be a few kind of whispers going around about his form. Um, we'll move on to that very shortly. Um, before we do so, though, um, Harry, a score prediction for tomorrow. I think it'd be a tighter one than Burnley. I'm going to say 2-0 City because one thing that's impressed me so far this season is the amount of clean sheets we've kept. Okay, uh, I'm also going to 2-0. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it doesn't mean we're right. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I just, I think, I think watching Fulham in the last couple of weeks, they've looked a bit more steady in defence. Saying that, we will just tonk them 6-0 now. I'm proving me wrong, but they've looked a lot more steady and they've not looked... I think you talked about before about them not being as expansive. They, they were a lot more expansive when I watched them in the Championship, whereas they've come into the Premier League and thought, oh, we'll continue playing the way that's, that's brought us up and then they've realised, well, this isn't going to work, so yeah. we'll kind of revert to... So I, I think they will kind of sit back and hope to hit us on the break with the fast players they've got on the wings. Uh, but I think City City get through this game, especially at home, 2-0. Joe, can you see a, a 6-0 Tonkin? I I can see it. I've predicted I've predicted 4-0. I thought it might go pretty, you know, the way of Burnley, where it'd be a case of we if we do if we do get that early goal, then the floodgates can open. Um but yeah, I just think I just think with a with a lot of the first team play, but hopefully if we do see most of the team that we saw against Burnley last week, I think the the, the bigger players in there like De Bruyne, um, De Bruyne and Mares, Walker, like if if they've had a week's rest, then they'll be they'll be pretty well well rested for this one and be good well well up for it. So um, yeah, I've, I've gone four nil. Yeah, well, uh, it's one of those games, isn't it? Really, where you know if we get an early goal and if Fulham do come out and and get a bit more expansive, then it could easily be any score imaginable. But similarly, you know. <laughs> After that, that that win against Leicester does concern me somewhat, and and they might have a bounce in them, uh, bounce in their step. But let's see. Um, okay, let's move on to Raheem Sterling. Uh, we mentioned there about the possibility of him not starting at the weekend, which was would have been unimaginable really six months ago. Um, and I'm concerned about his form. We, we've discussed this on the pod a couple of times in the past, but I think when we've discussed it in the past, we've known that we're talking about a temporary situation. You know, three week, four week. Bad, run a bad form mm. uh, and he always comes back he's not looking as effective these days and this has gone on for a while and I looked at the stats and he was banging in the goals post lockdown and yet that was the period when I was thinking hmm, Raheem is not the same player at the moment and for me that's carried on to this season 
two goals in 639 minutes this season in the league. And you touched on someone earlier, Joe, when you said about Haaland and the need for City to have that player who just does the tap-ins, basically. That used to be Raheem, and he's not yep. getting in those positions anymore. Instead, he's trying to kind of get his head down and run into blind alleys, trying to take on three or four players on the edge of the box, like he did when he first joined us. Um, Joe, let's start with you. Do you think he's regressed? Do you think there's a problem there? Yeah, there's definitely... I, I don't know what it is with Sterling, because we'll get to the end of the season, just like we did last season, and he'll have 25 goals in all yeah, competitions, yeah. and, we'll, and we'll all be like, wow, like, you know, what was, what was ever the problem with him? But let's not forget that last season he had two months that were unforgivably bad like mm. they were they were he might as well i think it was particularly when we played the carabao cup semi-finals and in both games he was just oh he might as well not have even been on the pitch like he had three or four chances to score and he missed every single one of them and they were all good chances as well and he had that kind of form for a for a long time and you know, we you know, we got we, we almost got in a weird sense, we got quite lucky that we had a two or three month break where Sterling, who was probably realistically at the time, well, certainly at the time I thought was um was was just suffering from exhaustion, having played basically every single game. Yeah. Um so he came back from Project Reese. I, I actually had a bet with um one of my mates from work that he'd score more goals than Harry Kane after uh, after lockdown and he did. So uh that, that's <laughs> that's thanks for the free Mackies that you've won me there, Sterling. Um so yeah, so I think basically, yeah, it's weird because I thought that it was down to exhaustion and Project Restart kind of proved that that was the case. But if we're already at this point of the season now and Sterling's looking in a similar way, then I don't know what it is. Like it's it's difficult to really work out. Is it, it? You would say a general dip in form, but like you say, even when he's had, even when he's having good games, he's usually good for a goal in those kind of situations. But he's but he's not been this season, and he has had a couple of reasonable performances, like one, but nowhere near what he's what he's actually capable of. But another thing that I find quite interesting is 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 his um his level of assists, um. He's actually quite bad for assisting goals. Like last season, he got 20 goals, but only four assists in the Premier League. So while you look at that and you go 24 goal contributions, is like no, it's nothing to be sniffed at. But for someone who plays out on the wing, you'd, you'd hope to see a lot more assists. So maybe when it's a case of if Sterling's not scoring goals, what, you know, it yeah. sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but if he's not scoring goals, like what is he bringing? He's not, he's not, He's not getting assists for anybody else. He's not. He's not particularly bringing other people into play. Like you say, his, his, his biggest strength is his ability to sort of run off the ball, and and get those chances finished and sort of find himself the space. But if he's not, and maybe that's because of the way oppositions are setting up against us nowadays. We've had, I think, basically every game in the league this season. We've been we've been sat in front of ten men behind the ball at some point or another. So it's probably more difficult to get goals in those kind of situations. But um, yeah, it's difficult to think of any highlights. Of, of of his performances this season. I think the only one that came to mind was was that great run he he made down the left before um the the, the pre-assist for Kyle Walker's goal against Sheffield where he just knocked it back to De Bruyne who pinged it over. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, it it's a concern and I don't know what it is because like he's like I like I've already said after when project restart came around I just thought oh well, you know, it was just a case of he was exhausted and now he's fine. And I know that we've not exactly had the ideal pre-season before this season we didn't have much of a break at the end of last one but here we are six months later and we're having the same discussion it's just uh yeah it's it is a worry it is for me too yeah and harry thing is with with raheem is in the past even when he was kind of you know average form kind of dipping in and out of games whatever 
you really noticed when he wasn't on the pitch. We really yeah. suffered. You know, he made a, a huge difference to us. That's no longer the case, in my opinion. Um, would you go along with that? I wanted to kind of be in defence of Raheem Sterling because we can't forget, first of all, that before Maris' hat-trick at the weekend, no player had scored more than two goals for City this season. Mm. So there has been a goal-scoring problem That's all it. across the squad, not just Sterling. Uh, and he has consistently scored goals for a couple of years now. Uh, I think another big problem tactically, and I think he benefited a bit from it last weekend. Now, of course, it wasn't his, his greatest performance. Uh, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, the, the sort of width of the left-back with Cancelo uh, playing at left-back for them yeah. pretty much the majority of this season. Cancelo likes to operate in the same areas as Sterling when he's going forward, whereas Mendy can hug, hug the touchline and get crosses in from that direction. How many times last season did we see Sterling cut um, into the just a, off the left-hand side onto his right foot and then just curl one in from the edge of the box? And he kind of made it his trademark last season. I think also... I don't think we may have underestimated the partnership Sterling and Sane had. You know, Definitely. Sane as the left winger, Raheem as the right winger, both on their natural feet. I would love to, I tried my best to try and find the stat, but I could not find it. How many times Sterling and uh, Sane had set up Sterling? I, I, cannot, I, I cannot think, I couldn't find it. But I'm pretty sure it must have been more than any other player setting up Sterling. You know, the amount of time Sane would get to the byline and cut it back for Sterling. So maybe he's just not got that connection with someone at the moment. So he feels the need to take the responsibility on himself and he's run into traffic. I mean, Joe mentioned that Sheffield United game and he was absolutely brilliant then. He's such a confidence player. When he's confident, when he's got that first take on or he scored that first goal, he's brilliant for the rest of the game. But if his kind of first action is running into traffic or missing a good chance, his head goes down. And I think it could turn out to be a problem. I think we've got to give him a bit more time. Uh, but again, going back to the point I said about Laporte, no one is undroppable. So it's now how Sterling reacts to kind of being dropped out the side. I, I agree. I don't think he comes back in at the weekend. Yeah, yeah that's it's, a big thing for me. It's the um, it's sort of he's not undroppable anymore because we've got Ferran Torres and Phil Foden sat in the uh, sat on the bench waiting to come on if he doesn't if he if he does have another sort of run like he did last winter when he had a couple of months where he was where he was playing really badly we've got play, it, it, that last season it was very much a case of well there's no one else to play on the left because it's Sterling or no one whereas now if Sterling has a bit of a run like that. And and I completely agree. I think this it, ultimately this is quite a this is quite a team wide issue anyway. I think we we can see everyone can see that the, the whole team's struggling to score goals. So it's not like this is all on Sterling by any means. Um, but I do think we we've got a squad now where we're at the point where if Sterling does have a few bad games or or a bad month, then he can very easily be dropped to the bench because we've got a couple of players there willing to take his spot. Yeah, I think Torres does play a part as well. Um, as Harry kind of said about the responsibility that it's taking on um, Sterling, you know, when Torres is, is fully acclimatised into this team, then we might see an improvement in Raheem. Um, yeah, and I'm certainly not saying anything drastic or dramatic or over the top or anything like that. I love the lad. Um, I always want him starting for City and I hope he starts at the weekend. Um, but it's because of how much I love him and how highly yeah. I rate him that I'm concerned about him at the moment. No, it's certainly something to discuss because, you know, he, he can't feel safe in this side. And just because he's been brilliant, he's, he's got to realise that if you want to play regularly, you've got to be performing to the levels the rest of the team are. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's, let's kind of um, wrap things up by looking to another big game this weekend, Spurs the Arsenal. Um, firstly, um, Joe, 
who's the lesser of two evils there? Who do you kind of want to win when you're watching this fixture? Uh, this season in particular, Arsenal. Um, as much as it'll deprive me of some great Arsenal fan TV content that would, uh, that would be available <laughs> yeah, if they yeah. lost. Um, uh, but ultimately, uh, Mourinho's Spurs losing is is always going to be satisfying regardless. But obviously, that that is going to be better for us and our potential like title charge, um, especially with the way results went last weekend with uh, pretty much everybody dropping points. I think it, it, the more points that everyone else drops, the better. Um, yeah, having, having, having said that, I fully expect that both teams are... Um, are going to just play extremely defensively and look to catch each other out on the break, which is maybe going to make for a pretty boring game of football, to be honest. But yeah, I, I I'm back in Arsenal. I want I want to see I want to see Arteta reclaim a bit of uh, a bit of faith after the last couple of weeks. Well, you say it could be a boring game. I, I hope very much that I'm wrong here. But I did the betting preview for um, one of the betting sites, and I've predicted nil nil. Um, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I just me. think yeah. it's one of those results where both teams will be okay with. It's very similar to Spurs Chelsea last week. And um, Harry, who will you be cheering on, or indeed either of the teams? Uh, I think looking at it city wise, I think we need Arsenal to kind of kill Spurs' momentum. Yeah. I don't think there's any chance Arsenal go on a title charge this season. But we've talked about it previously with Jose and Spurs are kind of showing signs of a bit more consistency. Um, so I, I think we need an Arsenal win just to kill Spurs' momentum really and we know form goes out a window in the derby um, but Arsenal's form is is a bit of concern at the moment so not just I mean we, we, we've we've said in the past Arsenal's defence has been shocking but they, they've not scored a goal now from open play for over seven hours of foot <laughs> yeah. uh, and considering you know the likes that they've got of a Bamiang you know £7 million Pepe uh, I'm pretty sure uh, True Jordy won't be happy with, with, with Arsenal spending <laughs> Uh, <laughs> just, um, but yeah, they're so famed. I think for their attack. I, I mean, Arsenal was shocking uh, against us in the semi-final. I thought, but then they scored two absolutely brilliant breakaway goals, and Aubameyang was incredible. But since since then, they've been they've been absolutely rubbish going forward and at the back. So personally, I don't see anything other than other than the Spurs win. But I'm hoping kind of like the derby effect might happen. Yeah. Do you think, um, Harry, that Arsenal genuinely are in crisis under Arteta? I think it's very easy for Arsenal to go. I think every time Arsenal lose a couple of games, the whole fan base goes into meltdown. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. But yeah, honestly, I, I genuinely think they're in a very... Unless Summit turns around and maybe a derby is a way to kind of kick themselves on. But at the moment, they're in a really bad situation because they cannot defend and they've not been able to defend for a couple of years. I think the new lad that they've brought in, Gabriel, uh, has shown promising signs, but... They're conceding too many sloppy goals and couple that with not being able to score goals at the moment. They're not looking at it in a good way. And when now it's December, I know City can't really say anything their position in the table, but Arsenal, what, 14th at 14th at the moment? It's their worst right. start after 10 games since 1982. And I know even with this kind of crazy season, December is kind of the the part where the, the pack kind of gets shuffled and it normally is yeah. the top six begin to to kind of take order but Arsenal are miles away from that at the moment and coupling that with a form I can't see it again and I feel sorry for Arteta because I think he's I think he's a fantastic manager but just the personnel I think at the moment at Arsenal letting him down but he will feel 
kind of the wrath of it because he's the manager. It's like, well, the manager's supposed to fix Aubameyang not putting the ball in the back of there, which is just not true. Yeah, I think the biggest problem for them is not Aubameyang, although he is primarily, obviously, the goal source for them. And when that dries up, they've got a problem. It's getting some creativity around them. That they yeah, yeah, absolutely. desperately missed out on that player who I can't pronounce, the one with the four or five vowels in his name, Oah, or whatever his name <laughs> Oah, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think Arsenal, like, they... I think they are in a bit of a crisis. Uh, not nothing to do with Arteta. It's not. It's not an Arteta thing at all. It's just a general. They're in that same, that same massive identity crisis that United have been going through ever since Fergie retired. Um, they obviously went straight. They went from Wenger and they got in Emery, who just comes straight off a of PSG. You know, he'd he'd walked the French league as as no one else possibly ever could with PSG, and and he came in and everyone sort of was a bit disappointed to find out that he actually plays quite defensive football, having having been used to watching Arsenal, um, Arsene Wenger's sort of very much uh, front foot forward attacking, attacking kind of football. And so Arteta's come in with, let's be honest, what's personnel-wise is an absolute shit show. Um, is just, it's just, it's, there's so many players who are just left over from both Wenger and Emery who are earning far too much money, who aren't anywhere near the level of quality that you would need to be to be competing for the top six in the Premier League, let alone the top four. And they've got Mesut Ozil, who's on 30, 350 grand a week, who's, who's not even registered for the Premier League squad because he's, because, because he's just, He's not worth that amount of money, but they can't possibly get rid of him. Imagine he's, if that was know, City. Imagine if we had oh, a player yeah. like oh, oh. The, the easy the, like I, I think I think Arteta's now at the point where in the Arsenal fact because I actually quite I actually listened to quite a bit of um, Arsenal sort of fan media. I listened to one of their podcasts because I find I just find the whole phenomenon of Arsenal fans just really really yeah. fascinating like star wars fans just it's like a reality tv show in it it is it really it really is um it's but but yeah it's a, the the sort of the impression that i get is that arteta seems to be sort of slowly they seem to be slowly realizing that that honeymoon period that you had where it's project restart they were playing quite good football you know they got to the fa cup final they won the trophy and that is massive i think winning the fa cup is is buys him a lot of grace that shouldn't really be afforded to the likes of Lampard and Solskjaer, who are in, I would argue, similar situations. Maybe not so much Lampard because he's looking quite good at the moment. Um, but it just seems that they're sort of starting to realise that maybe Arteta isn't Pep Guardiola 2.0. Um, I think when he came in, it was very much a case of they just thought that he would just, it'd be plug and play, just like football manager, just come in, set up the Pep Guardiola tactic, job done. They're going to be, they're going to be, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be walking the league, scoring loads of goals. It's going to be great. It's going to be like peak Wenger all over again. But it's it's really not, it's, it, it's because of the level of personnel that he's got. He has to. You've got to build from the defense first. You've got to make sure that you can't lose games before you think about going on to win them six nil. Um, and I just think it's a case I, from what I from what I've gathered as well that Arsenal have no intention of getting rid of Arteta anytime soon. Um, it's very they they see it very much as a project that they're quite invested in. And I think Arsenal fans just need to just need to come to terms with that. You've got to accept that it's going to be a couple of years before you get to the point where you are where you used to be, even though the level they're at now is basically where they were prior to Wenger, really. This is kind of a return to the norm for Arsenal as a, as a club generally. But um, obviously, you know, 20-odd years of that not being the case is obviously going to change fan expectations, and quite rightly so. But um, yeah, it's it's a long game with Arsenal. I think they just need to sort of be a bit more patient, but we all know that Arsenal fans are not renowned Never. for their patience. And... Um, yeah. So yeah, it's 
they're not they're in a they're in a crisis of sorts but i would not put i would not put any of that on on arteta i think he's i think he'll ultimately prove if he's given a year or two extra i'd give it given next summer where pretty much the vast majority of that deadwood will be gone whether, whether that's because their contracts have run up or because they'll get sold mm. then hopefully when arteta can sort of bring in a team of his own making rather than just be sort of dealing with what the hand he's been dealt then, um, then yeah, we'll we'll maybe see a bit more of a of, of an attacking Arsenal. But for the time being, yeah, I, 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 it's tif- it's difficult yeah. to put any of it on Arteta at all. Um, the situation surrounding Özil is honestly baffling to me, especially on 300k a week. He's openly said he he still wants to play for Arsenal, and I, as you say, Steve, they've, they've lost a bit of of creativity. And I mean, who's more creative in that squad than Mesut yeah. Özil? I know how old he is, but he, he's still the one said- of the. Go on, Go on sorry. sorry. No, I was just saying, he's one of the best creative midfielders in the league when he's on it. So I just don't get why they're kind of losing that. I know he has a big affiliation with Arsenal fans as well. I know Arsenal fans kind of want him to be back in. Maybe it'll give him a little bit of a boost if he if he was back, but I, I have no idea what the situation is with him. And Arsenal, I can, I, I can kind of understand where Arteta's coming from and I understand it's a bit of an attitude thing and he doesn't want to work for the team, but when they need creativity, and especially when kind of times are tough like this, I don't see why Mesut Ozil wasn't registered. I just think Ozil's very much like it, the, the Ozil situation around Arsenal, certainly within the, the, the on the media side of things, is pretty much identical to the Pogba situation at United, where it's it's just this massive shadow that just covers the entire club, and even every, every week, if if Arsenal play well great no one ever says anything about it but when Arsenal don't play well and especially with the fact that they've not been scoring many goals from open play the only thing that everyone can talk about is Ozil and the only thing that much in the same way that whenever United play badly the only thing that anyone can ever talk about is Pogba it's it's sort of just I think they should have if they if they didn't plan to register him um for the squad and I don't think they registered for for the Europa League squad either so he's literally just irrelevant he's just sat there on the bench and he'll never he'll probably not kick a ball this season I would imagine for the first team why have he just not terminated his contract and got rid? Like, why is he? Why is he there? Like, just pay him off and you know, be done with it from the from the get go, and just sort of have that have that monkey off your back and just be done with it. Um, it's 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 crazy, and like and like I said, that's that's the kind of ish, uh, you know crisis that Arsenal are in, where it's just a lot of top down decisions that are pretty ridiculous. But then Arteta isn't entirely blameless in absolutely. That, I was going to say, I think you're being way too kind on Arteta. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's ultimately Arteta's choice who's in his squad, and leaving Özil out is, is was obviously going to be this massive controversy that was obviously going to overrule everything. I think signing Willian is utterly ridiculous on a three-year deal. He's already thirty-two years old, and every Chelsea fan going could have told you that he's a bang average unless he's on TV. Um, <laughs> and it's just, it's just, yeah, it's 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 weird. He's made a lot of he, Arteta has made some strange decisions with the short term in mind, but. The, the, the problems at Arsenal run far deeper than who the manager is at the moment. Uh, that's certainly true, but I, I would personally think that I think there was always a danger that Arteta was going to be like a pep light. And I think right now he's he's shown himself to be like a managerial roller cola because he's, he's just <laughs> not cutting it for me at all. He's making bad decisions. His team just look toothless week after week after week, unless they're in the Europa League, incidentally, when they suddenly look brilliant. Um yeah, they've scored more goals in the Europa League this season than they have in the Premier League. Um, and Being in a group with Dundalk will do that to you. I guess, but yeah. <laughs> but when you look at the stats and the, yeah, but particularly their attacking stats, it's it's staggering, really. But yeah, 
Um, all right, lads, let's let's uh, wrap it up there and um, look ahead, look forward to hopefully a nice straightforward 4-0 victory tomorrow for, mm-hmm. for the Blues. Um, thanks very much, Harry. Yeah, no worries. And cheers, Joe. Cheers, thanks for having me on. And thanks everyone for listening in. Uh, we're away to try and make sense of a league table that has Arsenal firmly entrenched in crisis, yet there's still only five points off the top four. Last season at this stage, they were fifth and only a single point nearer to the top four. Speaking of fifth place, that's where West Ham currently are and how the hell did that happen? While most startlingly of all, Manchester United are presently above City in the league table. The last time that was true after nine games, Miley Cyrus was topping the charts with Wrecking Ball. These are strange days indeed, folks, and I guess our best option is to simply embrace them. Take care, everyone, and forever up the blues.